As I said in our welcome, today we're beginning our sermon series on the five sole of the Reformation. The five sole are five Latin phrases that, that emerged, or I should say became popular during the time of the Reformation. These concepts and some of these ideas existed before and even were spoken about and written about in, in some form prior, but, but they really began to take root and began to be, be uh, intentional focuses within the time of the Reformation. They, they summarize, these five sole summarize the Reformers' theological convictions about the essential aspects of their movement. And these five sole, I believe, still have application and and, and value for us to understand and be reminded of within uh, our modern culture. The five sole are sola scriptura, which we'll be speaking about today, which is scripture alone. Sola fide, faith alone. Sola gratia, grace alone. Solus Christus, Christ alone. And soli deo gloria, to the glory of God alone. And over the next five Sabbaths, we are going to be exploring each of these ideas and and, and, and in some ways, in many ways, asking what is their meaning in our modern context. You see, 500 years ago, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of Wittenberg. It will be 500 years, October 31st this, of this year. And, and as we examine these things, we are to be reminded of the fact that the Reformation continues. The protest continues whenever there is... Uh, air, whenever there is, there is a challenge to the true teachings of God, the protest continues. But today as we look at Sola Scriptura, and we focus primarily on Sola Scriptura, I want to begin by asking you a question, and I want to ask you to answer this question in your own heart, and to think about this question as we go throughout this sermon, because I believe this question uh, uh, is, is closely related to one of the large reasons why Martin Luther was passionate about sola scriptura. And the question is this. As you think about the knowledge that you have of the Bible, as you think about the knowledge you have about the things of God, as you think about the knowledge about, that you have about the nature of man and, 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 and these concepts of things, is your knowledge, the question is this, is your knowledge based primarily upon your own study, either personally or within the context of a group? Or is it based primarily upon what someone else has taught you throughout your history? Let me give an example to you, an easy example to you. We are all here on the seventh day of the week on Saturday because we believe that, that Sabbath is a, a holy day of the Lord, that the seventh day is a holy day of the Lord. But, but do you believe this because there's an understanding in your life of Genesis chapter 2, of Exodus chapter 16, of Exodus chapter 20, of Hebrews chapter 4, of Revelation 14? Are you here because you have a, an understanding, a knowledge of, of, of the focus of those texts and what the focus of Sabbath is? Or is your knowledge of the Sabbath your, your basis for believing the Sabbath? Because someone has told you to believe this over the course of your life since you were little, maybe a child in Sabbath school, maybe the stories you heard your parents tell, or maybe something the preacher said from the front. What is the basis of your belief? We can apply this to all the things that we really believe in 
this world about the Bible and about God and about the things of God? Is our knowledge of the Bible primarily based upon our study, both privately and with our fellow believers, or what someone else has told us? This is an important question in regards to the idea of sola scriptura. This is one of the major reasons behind uh, Martin Luther's emphasis of sola scriptura. You see, Martin Luther didn't see sola scriptura as we often talk about it within our modern evangelical context. Uh, Martin Luther, we, we speak of sola scriptura as the Bible as the only rule and absolute authority of all faith and guidance for practice. And we believe those 66 books in the Bible, the canon, are all equal and inspired by God and good for, profitable for instruction, for wisdom, for guidance, for all these things. Martin Luther had a little different view on some things. Martin Luther still, in many areas of his life, supported tradition. Martin Luther saw that everything was, was to be viewed through the gospel, which we would affirm that, but he saw it in a different way. And so Martin Luther took some of his, the books of the Bible and said, these are a little bit stronger than these books over here. Uh, he was not the biggest fan of the book of James, which uh, James Standish just quoted. My wife was, of course, sad to hear that because James is her favorite book in the Bible. She loves James. She feels it's so practical and, and just sound and, and clear to understand. So he saw things a little differently, but, but he had an emphasis on sola scriptura in that he saw a problem within the church. And this is how Martin Luther described this major problem. He said, I go to church, hear what my priest, my priest says, and him I believe. I go to church, I hear what my priest says, and him I believe. In other words, he was saying, I, I am basically taught to believe only what someone else has communicated to me rather than what I have learned from Scripture. Now, in Martin Luther's day, Scripture was not as accessible as it is now. And it is ironic to me that we live in a world today where the vast majority of Christians would hold to the idea of sola scriptura while being the most biblically illiterate generation since the time of the Reformation. Studies show that we are the most biblically illiterate generation. That the, that the amount of Bible reading the time people read, spend studying their Bibles is, is down, that, that people don't know some of the basic, simple things of the Bible. Have you ever uh, seen Jay Leno's jaywalking that used to be on back in the day? And he would do all these things, and he would ask some things that were very clear questions, and he would go through. And he asked, I remember one of the questions he asked one time, can you name one of the Ten Commandments? And to hear some of those answers was just quite amusing. Who was Noah and what was the ark? No one knew. The, 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 the illiteracy of these things, and, and, and yet even within our society, even within churches, this is a growing trend. The reality is, is while we live in a world and, and within the Christian community, we proclaim the idea of sola scriptura, the majority, uh, I would say, unfortunately, a majority even within the professed Christians of the world, their understanding of the Bible is largely based on what the pastor or the church has told them to believe. And this is a very danger that Luther saw 
and where his idea of solar, sola scriptura began. He believed that it should not be the pastor or the church that was dictating the interpretation and the ideas of conscience, but rather it should be through one's own understanding of the word and that everyone should have access to that. There was a gathering of leaders in 1521. It was called the Diet of Worms. There had been other gatherings before this. There was a gathering at Leipzig in which, which uh, Martin Luther had become branded the, the, Sax, the Huss of Saxon. Now, John Huss was considered a, a heretic, and now Martin Luther was being, uh, being uh, defined as this as well. And one of the items there at the Diet of Worms on the agenda was the topic that was being hotly debated within the church. Martin Luther had nailed his 95 theses to the door in 1917. Uh, Pope Leo had issued a, a, a papal bull against uh, Martin Luther's views, saying these are out of line with who we are as a people. These are inaccurate. They, there had been various councils on these things. And this topic had been debated within the church for four years after Luther had nailed those theses to the door. And so one of the items on the agenda was to invite Martin Luther to come to present, but largely what they wanted Martin Luther to do was to recant his views, to say, I will step away from these things which I believe and submit to the authority of the church, the authority of the church to interpret and to define and say what is scriptural and what is not. And Luther in this gathering of delegates defended his positions and he defended them upon the principles of scripture. And there was an opponent of his, a man by the name of Jonathan Eck, who was a spokesperson and representative for the church. And he was representing the church's position there at the Diet of Worms. And he told Martin Luther that he was acting like a heretic. And even though Martin Luther was using the scripture to defend his positions, uh, uh, Eck believed that Martin was still a heretic. In fact, Mar uh, Eck said this, Martin, these two men had been friends and so he's now addressing him in a friendly tone. Martin, there is not one of the heresies which have torn the bosom of the church which, is, which has not derived its origin from the various interpretation of the scripture. The Bible itself, this is what X said, the Bible itself is the arsenal which each innovator has drawn his deceptive arguments. What was X saying? He was saying, even if you, Martin, believe this is what the scriptures are saying, it does not matter what you believe because ultimately the church has spoken and the church is the only one that has the right to define what is truth. The church has spoken. The church has voted. The church has, has issued a statement. And therefore, conscience should fall into line with that. Martin, recant, put your conscience aside, admit your error, and submit to the authority of the church. Martin Luther objected to this viewpoint, and he famously said, unless I am convinced by the testimonies of Scripture or evident reason... And then he said, for I believe neither the Pope nor councils alone, since it is established that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. Martin Luther looked at things over the course of history, and he says, as I look at the course of history, I see times in which the church got together, and they had a council, and they voted, and they were wrong. 
I see times in which the Pope has, has made statements or, or directed people in areas and, and, or, or believed certain things, and the Pope was wrong. And he says, so I cannot just depend on this alone. He says, I am the prisoner of the Scriptures cited by me, and my conscience has been taken captive by the Word of God. I neither can nor will recount anything since it is neither safe nor right to act against conscience God help me, amen. It is neither safe nor right to act against conscience directed by the Holy Spirit. Luther had observed, and he'd even been a part of the structure that said, once the church has spoken, the issue is at rest. Once the church has spoken, The issue is at rest. And he had supported and endorsed the idea that to challenge that authority is to be out of line. But Luther, now in his own personal revival, had discovered. He had had discovered in his own journey with the word of God, in his own personal study of the scriptures, he had discovered that people had a right to study the Bible for themselves and to come to understand and engage with scripture and that the church simply could not issue a statement and shut out people's conscience. Close them off. Now the church believed in the authority of the scriptures. And Martin Luther believed in the authority of the scriptures. Their difference was not in that the scriptures had authority. Their difference was in who ultimately gets to dictate and interpret the scriptures and decide conscience. And Luther said, it should not simply be with the council of the churches, with the vote, with the people, or with the, with the leaders, or the leader, but it should be with the people coming together to study the word of God. Martin Luther lived out this principle in many ways. He believed that for the only way to make this happen is for the the Bible to be much more accessible to others. Now, there had been other translations that had been, that had been, uh, uh, there had been Bibles that had been, that had been translated and were available to some, but, but in large part, the Bible was unavailable to people at that time. Martin Luther uh, translated the Bible into German, and, 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 and folks said that it was the, the most accessible Bible of the day, not only because of it being printed in mass, but also because of the language that he used. He wrote within the language. He wrote within the language of the people. There's one verse in which he adds the word alone in the book of Romans. He adds the word alone, and someone said, well, how can you add this word alone? He says, because it goes within the theology of Scripture and also because it's just good German. That was his theory. There's some things I read nowadays that I'm like, man, I don't know if that's good English or not because I don't even understand that English sometimes. Luther would state in another place, I am a Christian theologian, and I am bound not only to assert, but to defend the truth with my blood and death. I want to believe freely and be a slave to, no, to the authority of no one, whether council, university, or pope. I will confidently confess what appears to me to be true, whether it has been asserted by the Catholic, by a Catholic or a heretic, whether it has been approved or reproved by a council. 
I will stand upon my convictions. Luther was fighting for the people to be able to live by the same principle that he had been experienced in his own life. The idea of sola scriptura, that each person could go to the scriptures for themselves to understand the word of God. Now, there's always the pushback on this. Even in my own mind, as, as we think about that, one of the pushbacks is, is, well, does that mean that each person can go and just read whatever they want, decide this is what it means and this is what this is? Well, the Bible, as we know, was a Bible that was written within community. It was, it was to be read in community. It was to be taught within community. So I would say it's a, it's a dangerous position to be the only one out there and say, well, this is what the Bible says and no one else is with you. In fact, Martin Luther once said that if each one interprets the Bible for himself and, and with no insight from anyone else and with no, uh, with no outbouncing it off of other people, then each one of us goes to hell in his own special way. He believed that the community should instruct one another. But he didn't believe that... that that a simple edict, a document, a bowl, should determine the conscience and the interpretation of all things. There was a balance there that he had. In their day, the Bible was limited. It was intentionally limited by the church for the very reason that the church believed that when it got together and it made a decision, that that was the final voice. So in their minds, why would the people need the word? But in our day, though, there is no limitation, especially in this world, in this, in this nation. There is no limitation to any of us in this country having access to the word of God. We all have the freedom to embrace and and. and and live by the principles of sola scriptura for ourselves. In fact, the, 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 the studies show and they report that the average home has 3.7 Bibles in it. So some of you cut off part of your Bible, maybe James and some other books like, like Martin Luther. I mean, many of us have far more Bibles than that. We have the NIV, the TNIV, the Revised, the New Revised, the English Standard, uh, what else is there? The King James, the New King James, I mean, New American Standard. We, we have so many Bibles. Some of you speak multiple languages. My friend Ganun Diop at the, at the GC, he speaks eight languages. He's one of my professors, and he has eight languages. I'm sure he has a Bible in each one of those languages. I mean, we have so much access to the Bible. And in the days of Martin Luther, it was limited by the church, but we in this day have access to the word of God. We all have the freedom to live by sola scriptura, yet so many of us, while not being put under the thumb of another person by anyone else, we have put ourselves under the intellectual thumb of another. We have placed ourselves there by our own choice, not knowing what we believe or why we believe it, but just taking it as so. Open your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 14. In the book of Romans chapter 14, the Bible tells us about a debate that was taking place over the issues, some of the issues that were going on in the church. Issues of meat being offered to idols and, 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 and festival days. And Paul is, is giving counsel. He's saying, you know, these things are not things that we should 
divide over. These are not the fundamental beliefs of who we are as a people. We should be sensitive to let each one decide in their own mind uh, where they stand on these. We should be cautious to not judge one another in regards to these issues. Let us not fight. Let us not judge. This is part of what Paul is saying. But in the midst of that debate, he states this counsel uh, for the Romans and for the Jews of that area in chapter 14 and verse 5. One person considers one day more sacred than another, speaking of these holy days, these festival days. Another considers every day alike. Each of them, listen to the statement, each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. There was a group of people who were trying to say, this is how we should believe. And Paul says, wait, let's just back off a little and, and not dictate to them, but rather allow them to come to an understanding and each be convinced in their own mind. Biblically, how are we to be convinced of something in our own mind? Biblically, we are to be convinced through the Bible as authority and as the word of God. But unfortunately, many of us are convinced in other ways, and therefore it's not really that we're fully convinced because of our understanding, but because of other reasons. Some of us are simply convinced because we like the person who is sharing something with us. We like maybe the preacher, we like their style, we like the way they deliver things. Maybe we've liked what they've said in the past. You pick your preacher, whoever it may be, uh, Dwight Nelson or Carlton Bird or Alejandro Bullion or Doug Batchelor or Bill Nott or Mark Finley, whoever your favorite preacher is, sometimes when that person gets up, we are more prone to listen to what they say simply because we like them or because we've, we've been appreciative of them in the past. And there are people, whomever they say, uh, who, whoever it is, they believe it because of that. There have been so many conversations and, and others in this room can testify to this and other pastors can testify to this. There's been so many conversations in which I've been dialoguing with people about an issue and you ask them why they believe that and they'll say, well, Dwight Nelson preached it or well, Doug Batchelor preached it. Let each one be convinced in their own mind. Not because someone else, because you like the person, but because you have studied it for yourself. You've come to stand on scripture alone for your acts of conscience. Some of us believe things because they go along with what we want to believe. They go along with what fits our world, what fits who we are in our culture. They go along with what we're comfortable with. I'll give you my own personal kind of ignorant, arrogant example of this for my own personal life. There was this group uh, church I was at that, that was very hardcore on the dietary principles and not just for themselves, but they were hardcore for others too, whether the others liked it or not. So if you went to a potluck of, 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 of this church and you brought something that they did not find met their boundaries, and when I say that, I don't mean like unclean meats or even meat at all, but if there was, if it was a sugar, you know, had sugar in it, then you would be told and it would be handed back to you that we cannot use this. This cannot be put out. Um, I think one of the best things that ever happened to that group was that my wife, she likes to bring cookies and brownies. 
And no one was gonna tell the pastor's wife that she couldn't put out her, her dish. I won't say whether or not she did that every week on purpose or not. Uh, you, have to, you have to talk to her. Um, I did also find it funny how quickly those things disappeared. But, but this church was like that. So someone could be a guest and they could bring in a pie and it'd be like, yeah, we're not gonna put that out. You can't, you can't have this. It was really... So over a course of time, I, I became kind of uh, about this, you know, this supposed kind of righteous indignation. And uh, uh, I heard this uh, preacher preach and this young guy that I like, he's a good communicator. I guess he's not quite as young anymore. He's about my age, but, but this young guy that, 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 that was at the time a peer of mine and, and he was preaching on something and he referenced in his sermon, you know, we gotta be careful to be judged. And he was like saying about how, uh, he goes, I mean, think of John the Baptist. John the Baptist ate bugs. And it was just kind of a comment and he went on with it and, and, and let it go. And I heard that and I thought, man, I agree with that. I like that. And so one time I went to preach and I was talking about how, about judgmental and being all this, even though I was, as you'll see, I was being judgmental myself, but I was preaching about like, we, man, John the Baptist, what an example for us, this and this and this. And then I said, and yet John the Baptist ate bugs and we won't even eat sugar. And I railed on that point for a little while and I finished my sermon. This man came up to me afterwards and he said, you know, I really appreciate your sermon, Pastor, but I don't know that your illustration works or that it for sure works. And I said, well, why not? He goes, well, I don't, I'm not positive that what John the Baptist was eating was bugs. And I go, well, it says in the Bible, locusts. And he's like, yeah, but you might want to like examine that and look up that word a little bit and you might want to like read some of the commentaries on that you know, find out more, and, and I said, sure, whatever, and my sure whatever was probably like, sure, whatever, I have a master's degree, and I'm the pastor, so you just, thank you, thank you, my child, and I'll tell you the truth, I did not want to know if he was right or not, because what I had said fit with what, what I wanted to communicate with. But I went home and that bothered me. It bothered me. It bothered me. The Holy Spirit jabbed me a little bit. And I went and I looked. I said, well, I'm gonna check this out. I'm sure he's wrong, I'm right. I looked and I found out something that was very, very interesting. And while there's still some debate on all this, there is this thing that can be found near the Jordan River called Serotonia Sliqua, which for all of us means locust bean tree. Some of you might know it as a carob tree. Now on that point, I would just say that I'd rather eat a bug than carob any day, but, but my point is, is that I was determined on this belief because it fit with what I wanted to believe. I wasn't, wasn't willing to be convinced because I wanted to believe what I wanted to believe. We are convinced in many different ways. Sometimes because it's what we want to believe. Sometimes we're convinced because a favorite person of ours says it. We are not, though, like the people in the days of Luther. We have the freedom, and we should express that freedom to study and find out the truth for ourselves, to be fully convinced in our own minds, not because someone else told us to be convinced of this, not because our favorite preacher likes this, not because this fits within our 
preferences or because it makes us comfortable, not because a church voted or because of some council or delegation. We should live by sola scriptura and have our conscience dictated by that. One final illustration, then I'll wrap this up. Turn in the book of Acts, chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, we read about Paul who has been preaching in Thessalonica. He's preaching at Thessalonica, but a mob is formed against Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas are there preaching. There's this mob formed against us, against them. And the Bible says that Paul and Silas were rushed out by the brothers to a place called Berea, to another little place called Berea. And there's been much written about this little place called Berea, even though it's just a few verses that they're mentioned in the Bible. But in Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 10, the brothers, that's the brothers of Thessalonica, immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews, listen to what the Bible says, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why were they more noble? The Bible says two things. First, because they received the word with all eagerness. So they were excited about receiving the word of God. That's a good thing. And many people are excited about hearing a good sermon and, and reading a good or and or, or reading a good book. Many people are excited about, about hearing a good illustration or or hearing a song that, that teaches them something. They're excited about these things. But these people were not just noble because they were eager to hear the word of God, but they were noble because not only were they eager, but they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They examined the scriptures for themselves. In other words, the Bible is saying that, that the Bereans were noble because, yes, they were excited about the scriptures, but they didn't just receive the scriptures from someone else, but rather they also themselves took the time to examine and to decide whether or not the things that they had been taught were according to the scriptures. Why do we believe what we believe? Because someone else has told us or because we've taken the time to examine from the scriptures for ourselves. The Bible says many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. They were eager to receive the word, but they didn't stop there. They, 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 they said, you know what? We need to search this for ourselves. We need to build our principles on scripture alone and not just what on someone else says. And as a result, many believe the truth. It is not one man or one church that dictates to us the truth, but it should be through the study of the Word of God. Brothers and sisters, this aspect of the Reformation is as important now as it was in the days of Luther. It's as important now as we move into various uh, gatherings as it was in the days of the diet of the worms. Of course, groups can make decisions as they see fit, but at the end of the day, we must all understand that conscience cannot be set aside by the will of another, both within and with outside of our church. There are those that would like every individual to accept truth as it is defined by the culture, whether that culture is internal or external. They would like truth to be defined by the voice of, of, of one body or the vote of one group. There is a great danger. There is a great danger of us no longer living by sola scriptura, not because we do not have the freedoms 
to study the word for ourselves, but because what? Because, but because we surrender that freedom, whether out of busyness or laziness or lack of interest or lack of recognition of the importance of understanding the word of truth, continuing to be unveiled within our midst. That is why the Reformation continues, because truth continues to be unveiled. A statement that was spoken of this people, speaking of us, we are a people of the book. But if we are truly to be a people of the book, then we must know what the book says for ourselves. Ellen White wrote in the wonderful book, The Great Controversy, two quotes from page 148, 164. She said, the Reformation did not, as many suppose, end with Luther. It is to be continued till the close of this world's history. The Reformation is to continue till the close of this earth's history. Luther had a great work to do in reflecting to others the light which God had permitted to shine upon him. Yet he did not receive all the light which was to be given to the world. From that time to this, new light, new light has been continually shining upon the scriptures and new truths have been constantly unfolding. We are not placed where our fathers were. In other words, within their culture, within their setting, within the world in which they live. Consequently, our duties, she says, and responsibilities are not the same as theirs. We shall not be approved by looking of God by looking to the example of our fathers to determine our duty instead of searching the word of God for truth for ourselves. Our responsibility is greater than was that of our ancestors, for we are accountable for the light which they received and which was handed down as an inheritance for us, but also we are accountable for the additional light which is now shining upon us from the word of God. Reformation continues, and God calls us as a people to base every decision of conscience, every principle of faith that we have upon the word of God, that no one will dictate to us what is thus saith the Lord. Let us pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for your grace. I thank you for the word of God. I thank you that you use people like John Huss, like Martin Luther, like, like Zwingli, Wesley, and Miller, and Ellen White. I thank you that you, you use modern day voices. So many of the preachers within our church are are, are speaking the clarion call of truth. I thank you that you use all these people. And we thank you for, for the inheritance of blessing that they've given to us. We thank you for the blessing of this church, for, for this movement that we have the privilege to be a part of. But Lord, may we not rest on any of those things, but may we ourselves, as Mrs. White wrote, Recognize that we have a responsibility to open the word of God, to see what truth God seeks to give to his people. For ourselves, for our church, Lord, make us completely a people of the word. In your name we pray, amen.